Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here. And first and foremost, just want to wish everyone a happy, happy new year. Um, you know, if this is uh, your first time here uh, being at church because it is a brand new year, um, just want to say how glad, um, you know, we are to have you here. Uh, we'd love to connect with you as well immediately after service. Uh, maybe for some of us here, uh, you know, it's a resolution, right? You're coming here again and you want to recommit to the church and I want to welcome you. And, you know, if this is you in some, some shape or form um, in light of newness and just coming to the table for the first time, just want to encourage you, uh, remind you that this be the start of a journey. Um, what that means is, you know, come open, come honest, you know, come with your skepticism, come with your doubts, come with your uncertainty, and allow the gospel to, to, to consider it, to let it speak into your doubts, your worries, your fears. And even right now, let the church be, be a community to consider what it means to partake in a life-giving community to surround you uh, in this very new season. For the past few weeks, we've been studying the person of Jesus Christ, and we want to talk about his, um, his offices as a prophet, a priest, and king. And for this morning, I'm going to be reading from Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. This is God's word. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Epaphrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites." He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely for then. His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. When the Assyrians invade our land and marches through our fortresses, we will raise against him seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. This is God's word. As I just mentioned, you know, for the past few weeks, uh, we've been studying the person of Jesus Christ in light of an Advent season. So for the past few weeks, we've been talking specifically about his offices as a prophet and a priest and a king. And today, as we start our new year, we want to talk about Jesus Christ and what it means for him to be our Lord See, regardless of where you stand in faith, you know, through media or even personal experience, you probably have heard the question, do you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And I'm only going to argue that this may be the most important question you will ever answer in your life. With that said, we have to understand what does it actually mean for Christ to be our Lord and Savior? 
So as you navigate through Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, I have three questions for us to consider today. First, what does it mean for Christ to be our Lord? Secondly, why should we consider Christ to be our Lord? And finally, how can Christ become our personal Lord? Let's dive into our first point. What does it mean for Christ to be Lord? For context, Micah who was an Old Testament prophet. And what we want to know and what we need to know is that a prophet, his primary function in the Old Testament uh, was to serve as a God's uh, uh, voice. He was a God's representative by communicating his word to the very people. And in chapter 5, what do we see is Micah, he's prophesying to his people that there is actually a doom that is ahead of them. Micah, he's exhorting, he's reminding Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem to face the reality of an Assyrian attack. Now, if you want to know anything about the Assyrians, the Assyrians were the most powerful people of the day, and they were uh, going to destroy God's people. In other words, they were some bad dudes. In fact, it was during this time when the Assyrians were uh, gathering to, to, to kill and destroy God's people. And it was during this time it was written, uh, many historians, they believe that this would be a time when God's people, they were actually trying to leave the city to avoid the hardship. But the reality was is that they were surrounded by the Assyrians and now they have no other option but to prepare for warfare. In other words, things are looking really, really bad. That's why in verse 1 it says, marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. Now, you got to understand uh, a little bit more about this text. If you look at that uh, saying of uh, striking uh, the ruler on the cheek with a rod, when you ever, whenever you see that in the Bible, it ultimately is a sign of great humiliation. And in our passage, it refers to the coming humiliation of Hezekiah, right, who can't prevent the Assyrians from defending the cities in Judah. Consider the humiliation right now. Hezekiah, he was a king, and his primary purpose was to ultimately protect. Yet, he cannot prevent the Assyrians from defeating God's people. If you can consider with me a little bit more what we're reading, consider the people of God. Consider what they are experiencing right now because of the king's inability to protect. Consider the anxiety the uncertainty, the grief, knowing that there is a defeat at hand and nothing can be done. See, if we're honest right now, right, we're, no, we're not so far removed from the experience that God's people are actually dealing with. In some shape or form, we've all experienced getting struck on the cheek with a rod. We've all experienced some sort of humiliating defeat. Some of us, we've experienced some sort of uh, experience that have caused shame and produced shame upon us. 
Some of us in this room, you've, dis- you've experienced disappointment just because life didn't play out the way that you planned in your life. You know, if I can be bold right now, it's probably the reason why you're even in this room right now or if you're watching on this live stream. But despite the humiliation and disappointment they are about to experience, what do we see? Micah, he offers them a hope through what they are about to endure. And it's going to be the same hope that you and I, we need to hear right now. Look at verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, uh, Paphrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient of times. See, despite the humiliation of Israel, Micah, he's still ensuring God's people with a great hope. And in that great hope, what he is saying is, he is saying that there's going to be a day when a strong ruler will arise from Bethlehem, the city of David. Now I want to highlight something really, really important about this verse. And if you get this verse, you kind of really grasp what Micah is talking about, what we're trying to say here today. There are a whole lot of details, but what's intriguing about this verse is that this king is coming from a lowly place of Bethlehem. And as the Advent season reminds us, specifically in Matthew chapter 2, that quotes this very verse, what we're seeing is that the Messiah to come from Bethlehem is Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ born in Bethlehem, will be the prophesied king who will be ruler over all. So the question becomes, well, what does it mean right now for Jesus Christ to be my true Lord and my one and true king? For Jesus Christ to be Lord, it ultimately means to treat him as king and to crown him in your life. See, in other words... For Jesus to be Lord, it ultimately is to declare that he is God and that he is sovereign. And that in light of this truth of who he is, we repent of the ways we use God and use his resources to further out our own purposes. And instead, we're called to now come in faith, trusting him in all trials and sufferings of this life, for he is Lord of all. Now, some of us right now in this room got to really consider what I just said. Because if you, especially if you've been in the church for uh, some time now, you're in the greatest danger of falling into temptation that, that, that you are going to God only for his resources. That you act as God exists to serve you. Some of us simply have a desire to use God and his church to further your own purposes. You use God and you use community for the sake of your comfort and for your status. And it's ultimately because of these commitments uh, uh, and because you're not accordingly to his lordship, you're only using it accordingly to your circumstances. And that is not a Christ, that is not Jesus as Lord, that is Jesus as your resource and what you want to gain out of him. See, for Jesus Christ to be Lord, it means that you will trust him through, hear me, any suffering, 
persecution and shame that you are experiencing in this life right now. And the reality is all of us, including me, the one preaching this very word, has experienced and is going through some sort of that shame and that pain and that suffering. That is what Jesus came for. Now you have to ask this question and some of you guys may be asking right now, well, why does Jesus Christ have to be my Lord? Some of you may be saying, I don't need anyone in my life to be Lord right now. I'm the master of my own kingdom. And this leads us to our second question. Why should we consider Christ as Lord? Look at verse 3 with me. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. Now, I think it's interesting that although Micah is foretelling of a promised renewal for God's people, what do we see in verse 3? In verse 3, he's ultimately telling God's people to, to buckle up for the ride. He's saying you, you're going to have to wait a little bit. And it actually says something about Christianity, right? Christianity, it, it doesn't promise a life without suffering. But rather, Christianity is the promise of a latter glory and a present peace in your suffering. And for, the, for God's people right now, what it's saying is that they're going to be abandoned for a long time until the return of the king. That there's going to be a time ahead and it's going to be filled with uncertainty. It's going to be filled with despair, trial, and persecution until the king comes again. See, friends, this life here on earth is going to be kind of lengthy. And in this life, right, it's going to beat you up. And in this life, there's going to be times where you feel abandoned. There are going to be times in this life when you're going to go through seasons of the most isolating pain and suffering. And it's going to come in various forms. It's going to come in the form of persecution, injustice, tragedy, and simply father time. And the question becomes, where will you find your hope during these times? You know, as we start the new year, I think one thing we can collectively hope for is that 2020 would not announced that they would want to run it back for 2023. You can recollect, if you recall, 2020 was a brutal year. There's not enough time in a sermon that tells you all the things that maybe I've gone through, or there's not enough time to tell you all the stories I've heard about what others have gone through in this year. And one word that I would describe uh, for 2020 for so many people is that they felt abandoned. And here's the thing. It wasn't abandonment, abandonment, not necessarily because people were abandoning them, but it's just a reality of isolation that led to the feelings of abandonment. But the one thing that this year revealed to me and others, that it was a time that revealed the things that we really worshipped. It was a year that revealed the lords of our lives. What do I mean? 
See, the reality is, is that there is something in this life that we crown as Lord. In other words, there's something in this life that we all worship. Uh, the late postmodern novelist David Foster Wallace, in his, in his Kenyan College commencement speech, says it this way. Everyone worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Everyone has to tap real meaning in life. And whatever uh, you use to do that, whether it's money, beauty, power, intellect, it will drive your life because it is essentially a form of worship. You know, it's funny, just last night I was hanging out with um, some family and friends, and as we're all hanging out, uh, the, the one brother of mine, he's not even, not even a believer, does not announce and proclaim faith. And we're talking about life and the realities of life. Even this brother that was a non-believer says, man, you know, it just seems like everyone in this life is just looking for something to fulfill them. Even the skeptic, even the non-believer understood this idea that David Wallace was trying to say. That there is something in this life we all worship, and it will control us, it will master us, it will rule us more than we would ever want to admit. In other words, if I can pertain it to the passage that we just read, we're always trying to marshal our troops. We're always trying to strengthen ourselves. We're trying to uh, create the best reputation with the most beautiful partners. We're trying to get the biggest degrees and the better job promotions. We're always looking for the better cribs with the better families and the better neighborhoods. We're always trying to look for these things to muster up our troops to cover up any type of pain so we don't have to experience any type of embarrassment as a head. So we do anything and everything to make sure that we avoid such things so we gain everything the things that we worship. But if you admit it, if you really think about what happens with those things that we worship, that thing that you've crowned in your life as Lord, it never protects. It never shepherds. It never fought for you. If anything, what do you see? You're always fighting for it. It never speaks truth into you. You just try to speak lies to it so you can gain it. It never helps you navigate through the seasons of abandonment. It never walks you through the seasons of embarrassment. And all of these things in this life that you worship, that you proclaim as Lord, they are temporary. They have a time clock. They are circumstantial. These Lord's will never give you what you need. And it's during these times where we would actually go to it, but I want us to consider something very differently for this new year if you're here today. Would you consider Christ as Lord? That, as Micah mentioned, the one from ancient times and then also the one who is to the ends of the earth, the one that declares his promises as everlasting, and because his promises are true and they are everlasting, you can then trust in him as your Lord and King, as an everlasting hope. That leads us to our third point, our third question to answer. Well, how do we make 
Jesus Christ our Lord right now. Look at verse 4 with me. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Friends, you got to hear me. How you make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, it cannot be based on the notion that you are working for his acceptance, right? If you do so, right, what you're doing is you're actually living under a very impossible standard, and it will get you tired, and it will get you weary, it will get you disappointed, And the reality is that that standard is based off of a lie, that that reality is not based with the truth of the gospel. And we need to hear this right now because you and I were so susceptible to believing that our obedience actually grants us us salvation. But this is not the case. See, Jesus Christ, he can only become your true Lord and your Savior. He can only become your true King when you find the beauty of what it actually took him to offer his lordship towards you. And we see this in verse 4. What do we see? We see that Jesus is our great shepherd. See, centuries later, after Micah's prophecy, what do we find in the Gospel of John? John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. What Jesus is saying right now is that he is the shepherd of his flock. He is the shepherd of his people because he laid his life down for you and I. That Jesus Christ, the son of God, he came down to earth. He went to lowly Bethlehem. He was born in a manger. He was one of lowly status. He was one of complete humility, an infant child. To be one of the smallest families in the tribe of Judah, to become a shepherd for his flock. And how does he demonstrate this shepherd-likeness towards you and I? Well, on the cross, he would experience a greater siege. And this one would be far worse than any attack, any army attack that uh, the people of God experience is going to be greater than any attack that you and I have experienced right now. But Jesus Christ, as the good shepherd, he uh, experienced the full wrath of God. He experienced the slaughtering and the suffering that we deserved to spare the life of his flock. On the cross, Jesus Christ, he would get strong struck on the cheek with the ultimate rod from God to the point where he screams, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's in one final breath, the one who had complete lordship, complete control, the king of this world, he lost it all so that we could be spared the penalty of sin, so that we can be spared of the eternal pain and suffering. And that right now, like literally right now in this moment, that you can experience a love everlasting and a renewal for you in this moment. 
1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. Friends, you don't believe in his lordship without understanding that he is your shepherd. You have to be moved by his sacrifice. You have to be moved by his death. So consider believing in his death. But hear me, don't just believe in his death, but believe in his death where you know that the outcome is resurrection because that is what the cross shows us. And when you believe that, when you consider that, then you can slowly begin to trust him as Lord. See, only when you realize that someone has done the craziest things for you because they were so in love with you, only then can you, then you begin to trust in that one. And so it is with Jesus. Be reminded that his love is so abundant for you. And he was so crazy for you, if I say that, that he would die for you so that you can experience a renewal in him. So how do we apply this teaching right now? How do we apply this text? How do we, you know, make this passage real as we depart? I have three takeaways from this text. And trust me, I had like eight or nine, but I was like, I don't know how much time I have on New Year's Day. But I want to highlight three things for us. And it's, uh, it's this idea of trusting in Jesus as Lord. First thing we want to take away is to trust in Jesus as shepherd Lord. Right? As I just mentioned, you can only make Christ as Lord and Savior is when you trust him for him and not just for things. What does that mean for us right now? What does that mean for this day one of 2023? Make it a year where the gospel becomes personal to you. Make the gospel a priority, right? I didn't say let's make church and let's make, you know, reading the Bible priority. Don't get me wrong. Those things are important, and I think that's an important part of making it personal and making it real applicable to you. But as you start this new year, make the gospel personal. Make Jesus and understand of his lordship that ultimately you want to seek him as a shepherd. You want to know him personally. What does that mean right now on a practical level? If this is you, you know, let's not, let's not shy away from our doubts. Let's not shy away from the skepticism. Let's not shy away from the questions. But if anything, use your doubts. Use your fears. Use the questions, right? Bring those to the table. And really wrestle with what the gospel and what the Bible really has to say about these things, right? Make it personal, right? And on that note, right, right, make it personal. Make it a year. Make it a year of reading scripture. Make it a year of reading uh, of God's word. Make it a year of, of prayer. Make it a year of committing to the body, right? These things are so important to really make the gospel personal, right? Make and trust in Jesus as your shepherd, Lord. Second thing we want to see is we want to, uh, one, another takeaway, excuse me, is trusting in Jesus as the unifying Lord. 
But the end of verse 3 is interesting when he talks about that day uh, where the king will return. There's a verse there, there's a part that specifically says to, to be in unity with the brothers. And I think that's really, really important in terms of a takeaway from this passage. Because if we're going to trust in Jesus as, as Lord, you need to see him as a unifying Lord, right? What does that mean? First and foremost, if this is your first time here, right, or if you're recommitting to the church or if you're really considering what that means, I just want to let you know that you, we understand that there's fears and doubts, but I hope you know that th those fears, those doubts, that skepticism that you may have, man, you, that it is such a beautiful thing when you bring those not only to, to, to God's word, but when you bring that within the context of community, I don't think you realize how encouraging it truly is uh, for that to be in the community, right? So just know that. I, I'm saying this as a pastor. really believe that, right? Um, it, if anything, it promotes the unity. It promotes the unification. It encourages and it helps us understand Jesus as a unifying Lord. I want to say this as well, right, in light of unity and uh, what it means to trust in Jesus as the unifying Lord. You know, some of us, you know, we've, we've come back to the church and I, I praise God that you're coming back to the church right now. But there's just a reality, and I, I know this because, you know, uh, because, you know, people that I often talk to here in, in this congregation, right, there's a lot of past hurt and past trauma that came from church and communities uh, and faith-based communities. If we're not careful with that, it, can, it, can, it, it disrupts the unity. It can really disrupt the unity because all of that past trauma and all of that church hurt that you've had because you've never brought it in light of gospel renewal, you're just coming in with the hardened heart, and that's when the gossip comes. That's when the skepticism and the, 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 the unfair judgments and so forth really come about, and it can really disrupt this notion of unity. And what I'm trying to say to you right now, even as a pastor, I'm not saying don't hide those things. Don't, I'm not saying don't push, push that into the rug. I'm not saying that. Hear me. What I'm trying to say is, right, uh, uh, those are the things that need to be addressed. So bring that to people that you can trust to talk through these churches to really experience God's renewal in these moments so that there could be a notion of unity even as you're coming back to the church. Trust in Jesus as the unifying Lord. And thirdly, trust in Jesus as the Lord of peace. Look at verse 5 with me. And he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. We will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders. To trust in Jesus as the Lord of peace is to understand that our life is often filled with chaos. For many of us, there are just a lot of injustices that are actually rolling over us. Now, I don't want to hyper-spiritualize it, but when we know what we know of Satan is that what he does do is that he uses past hurt, he uses brokenness, 
And he uses it, just like what we're seeing with the Assyrians, he uses those things to march through your heart and your soul. But in the same way, what we see as God's people rise against them, seven shepherds and eight, commander, eight uh, commanders, we need to make this a year where we are proclaiming the lordship of Christ and we need to claim the territory back. Meaning, what are some particular areas in your life right now that you need to allow the love of Christ uh, empower you and to renew you in this moment? What areas of brokenness in your life do you need to uh, confront in light of gospel power and renewal? There's a lot of brokenness that all of us may be experiencing. There's sexual brokenness. There's relational brokenness. There's family brokenness. There's brokenness that stems from uh, finances, and there's brokenness that stems from past trauma. Let it be a year where you're bringing these to God and his lordship and to claim the territory back, to reclaim him in your life so that your heart can experience this renewal. See, when you come to Jesus as Lord and King, only then can you become more king-like in a brand new radical way that you've never experienced before. I'm close with this thought, and then I will come in prayer. But the one thing I want to highlight about Micah and this passage is in this passage here is that Micah he reasserts the certainty of God's promise, not during a time when Israel is rising to power. He's doing it at a time when Israel is sinking towards oblivion. If you see this, in the light of all the scripture, he never elects cities or people because of their prominence or their distinction. But they're elected through weakness and brokenness that allows for them to have a deeper trust in him. So if this is you in any shape or form, there is weakness, there is suffering. Maybe you are just enduring the hardships of life and you're saying, Brian, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm weak, I'm tired, and 2023 just got started. I can't do 364 more days. You are in the right place. Trust in him as Lord. He is sovereign. I wish I had another half an hour to tell you about how that shaped my life, but y'all don't want that right now. But I can just tell you, 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 can, you can trust in him. You can believe that power, and you can experience renewal. Hear that. Would you join me in prayer?